Isaiah 53, 6 tells us through the prophet, the Lord told us that like sheep, we have all gone astray. We've all turned around, each one to his own way. And it's the same truth that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. You all know what he says there. He says that all have sinned, right? All fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And we all know that that's true, don't we? We all know that we are sinners. We all know that we all fall short of the glory of God. We know that we've all gone our own way. I think it's just our human nature, isn't it? That's the way we are. It feels like since the fall of Adam, we can't help it. That's just kind of what we do. It's, it's our nature. It's born in us now. And you see it everywhere you look. Did you know that? How many of you have turned on the TV and noticed that man is sinful? You can see it as soon as you turn on the TV that we've all gone our own way. Man is sinful. He commits horrible acts of sin against other people. He commits horrible acts of sin against his own family and the people in his neighborhoods. He does terrible things to the people that he claims to love. He says and he does mean and hurtful things to others and it seems that usually he does it without any motive at all. And because of that, we have to have governments, don't we? Because of that, we have governments who make laws and they make punishments hoping that they can in some way mitigate sin or they can in some way incentivize man to alter his behavior. Maybe he could just change his behavior a little bit if he has hanging over his head the threat of punishment. And to be perfectly honest with you, I'm really, really thankful that we have laws like that. I'm really thankful that we have governments who make laws and they make rules and they come up with punishments hoping that we can correct certain behaviors or at least guide people in their behavior. I'm thankful that we have police officers. I'm thankful that we have first responders who enforce laws. We have police officers who enforce these rules and all of these laws. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like to be in our society and have absolutely no restriction at all? What would it be like to try to live in this world and to have a society where there were absolutely no laws to restrict certain behaviors? What would that be like? Do you think you would want to live in a world like that? Do you think you would want to live in a world where there were no police officers on the streets trying to control people who are out of control, who who refuse to live by any laws? Don't you think our streets would be just completely overrun by crime? You'd not be safe anywhere you went, would you? But did you know that if man was not sinful, we wouldn't need any of those laws, would we? If man was not sinful, we wouldn't need any of those rules. We wouldn't need any of those things. But the truth of the matter is that man is sinful. Man is inherently sinful. He's desperately wicked, the Bible tells us. In his letter to the Romans, Paul wrote in chapter 6 that the wages of sin is what? It's death. The wages of sin is death, he says. So if that's true, let's think this through. If that is true, mankind has a real problem, doesn't he? Mankind has a serious problem. If mankind is sinful, and we know that he is, and if the wages of sin is death, then man has a huge problem, and we would have to worry about an entire humanity of dead people, wouldn't we? If this wages of sin is death and we're all sinful, then we all must die, and we all must face the punishment of our sin, which is death. So wouldn't we have an entire population of people who are dead? For those of you who are new to us, or who may be visiting here at Root River Church for the first time, I want you to know that we take what we call an expository and a sequential approach to teaching the Bible. 
And the idea is that we start at the beginning of a particular book of the Bible and we work our way all the way through it sequentially. And what we do on our journey through the Bible is we try and put everything, every passage, every word, every verse into its proper grammatical and historical context as we go. Now, over the last several weeks, we've been working our way through the letter written by Paul to the Ephesian church. It's known as the letter to the Ephesians or the book of Ephesians. And today I want to take you to the second chapter of the book of Ephesians, and we're just going to have a very abbreviated study this morning. We're going to have a very short study. And while we're there, I want you to see what Paul actually has to say in this portion of the letter is very much what I have just explained to you. So I want to take you to Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And in fact, what you're going to find out when you get to Ephesians chapter 2 is that in all of the Bible, there is no more explicit instruction regarding sin than what you're going to find here in these first few verses. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, essentially, that we have all gone astray. He says that we are all sinners. He says that the nature of mankind is to follow the way of the world. He says that it is man's nature to be sinful. And because of that truth, man is dead. But wait a minute, Scott, I know that man isn't dead because most of them are out, well, maybe they are because they're all out driving around in front of me as I'm on my way to work. And maybe that explains some of their driving habits as they're... But it's true. Scott, if man is dead, what's going on? Why do I see them around me every day? Why do I see them in front of me at the grocery store? And this is why, Scott, the Bible seems so confusing to me sometimes because Paul says things like, man is dead and yet I see them living. I see them walking around. I can clearly see that they're alive. So I want to help you understand that this morning. I'm going to, to do that, I'm going to take you to Ephesians chapter 2 and let's take a look at verses 1 through 3. Follow along with me. And you were dead in the trespasses of sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So it's interesting to me that Paul starts out here in verse 1 by saying that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Well, what does he mean by that? To illustrate that, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. Many of you remember him from many, many years ago. But this is a picture, this is what my buddy Jake looked like right here. Yeah, Jake was a good friend of mine. He and I were very, very close. We did absolutely everything together for years. He's a red Doberman, as you can see, and he was the best friend. He was the most wonderful companion that anybody could ever ask for. Very dear to me. And I taught him a lot of things. He and I were very close. I taught him various commands and was able to guide him by several different forms of stimulus. He would respond to my voice. I could call out his name and Jake recognized the sound of my voice and he would come running. The stimulus moved him and he responded to that stimulus, the sound of my voice, and he would come running. I taught him how to respond to certain words. Would you believe that that dog knew when I told him to go sit in the corner? He knew what he was supposed to do and he would go sit in the corner. He would go and sit down and look like he was in trouble because he knew, but he would go to the corner. I taught him to respond to the stimulus of the snap of my finger. So I could snap my finger and I could point to the floor and he knew that he was either supposed to lie down or he was supposed to sit. He knew. 
He could respond to that stimulus. He heard the snap of the finger and knew that he was supposed to do something because of the stimulus of the snapping of my finger. I taught him how to play hide and seek. This was a fun one. I could have him sit, and he would sit patiently while I went into the house, and I would go hide somewhere. A lot of times I'd get in the linen closet and close the door, and he would sit in the living room waiting and waiting and waiting. And then when I whistled, that stimulus told him that it was time for him to go and find me, and he could find me pretty quickly. I mean, he was, he was pretty good at hide-and-seek. I don't know how he did it, but he, he did. I think he cheated, to be honest with you. <laughs> but he loved to be touched. When I watched TV, he'd like to sit down next to me and put his, his paw up in my hand. It was like he wanted to hold hands with me, and he loved to be touched. And I think his favorite thing was when I touched his ears and I rubbed his ears. He, he loved that. He just loved to know that I was touching him and being affectionate with him. But when he was about 12 years old, he became really ill, and eventually I had to take him to the vet, and I had to say goodbye to him. And, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't think that it was going to be very difficult because I knew I was doing the right thing by not allowing him to suffer. But but it was really actually a very difficult day for me that day. I can remember when I took him to the vet for the last time, the doctor came in. I was a wreck. I laid down on the floor next to to Jake, and I just stayed right there with him the whole time. And uh, when it was over, the doctor got up and he left the room, and I found that I couldn't leave Jake there until I was 100% certain that he was gone. And do you know what I did? I tried to stimulate him. I put my fingers on his ears and I began to rub his ears. I began to touch him. I took his paw in my hand and I began to to shake it. I put my hands on his, his chest and I began to shake his chest and I snapped my fingers and I called his name, but he didn't respond to any of those stimuli. Do you know why he didn't respond to any of those stimuli? Because he was gone. He wasn't with me anymore. He was dead, and so he was no longer sensitive to any of the stimulus. All of the things that prompted certain behaviors to him meant nothing anymore. Because he couldn't hear them, he was not stimulated by them, he was unable to respond to anything I did, he was unable to respond to anything I said to him. That's what it's like to be dead, isn't it? That's what it means to be dead, is to be unable to be reached by any form of stimulus. It's to be unable to respond to the stimuli of your surroundings. And I want you to know that that's the way it is for people who are dead in their sins. You wonder why they sin? It's because they're dead to everything else. They're unable to respond to any spiritual stimulus. You should not be surprised that sinful people sin. Because they are incapable of responding to any form of spiritual stimulus. They are not literally and physically dead yet. They will be. They're not yet, but they are spiritually dead. And verse 2 tells us that they walk along. They follow the course of this world. They follow the course of this cosmos, the Greek word is. They follow the way of this order is what that word means. They follow the system of this world. They follow the system of our society. They walk along day in and day out doing all of the things that the world does. That is the stimulus that awakens them. That is the stimulus that reaches them, and that is the stimulus that requires that they respond, and they do it day in and day out. They walk according to the order and the system of this cosmos. They walk according to the system of this world, and so they do the things that the world system does. What do you mean, Scott? 
What do you mean that they do the things that this world system does? What does it mean to walk along the course of the way of this cosmos or of this world? Well, I'm going to take you to verse 3, and I want you to see what that looks like. Look at this. Among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh. Listen, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. Turn your television on when you get home from church today and you're going to see exactly what Paul means. The course of this world is to live according to the passions of your flesh. The course of this world is to live according to the passions of your own mind. This world carries out whatever their bodies and whatever their minds demand of them. This world carries out whatever their minds and their bodies desire and they are not embarrassed to parade it around in front of God and everybody on public TV. They're shameless. They paraded around in front of the entire world. Why? They're hedonists. It's all very hedonistic. Not all of them pursue their hedonist passion to the very basest extent because sometimes they're able to show at least some level of moral restraint, but they pursue their own pleasure at any cost. That's what they do. That's what this world does. For some, the desires of their body and the desires of their mind are parties, alcohol, sex, drugs for some. The desires of their minds and their bodies are power, fame, and notoriety. And they pursue those things with passion. And they pursue those things with a reckless abandon. They go all in on them. For some, the desires are money, wealth, and all of the world's trappings. Maybe their passion is material things such as houses, cars, expensive TVs, and gadgets, and they pursue them to the point that they go financially broke trying to satisfy their own flesh. They give everything to have it, and they put themselves in financial hardship. Maybe it's popularity at school that drives you. Maybe it's academia. Maybe the pursuit of information and education is really important to you. But that's the course of this world, man. That's what they do. Whatever it is, whatever desire that you have, whatever you want, carry it out. That's what this world does. It doesn't, whatever the desire is, it doesn't matter what it is. But that's what the course of this world is. It's to pursue every desire that you have. It's to capitalize on every opportunity to gratify yourself. Go for it. Do it right now. You can't wait. Do it right this very minute. Get it all. Get everything that you can while you can get it. That's the course of this world. Have you ever had a conversation with someone who's done something irresponsible or maybe has done something unkind, maybe even your own child? And you say to them, why would you do something like that? And what's the response you get? I don't know. I don't know. Or, because I felt like it. You ever get that one? That's right. Because I felt like it. I don't know. Listen, don't be surprised by that. That's what the world does. Right? That's what the world does. That is the course of this world. Them saying, I don't know, is them saying, I did it because I wanted to. I did it because at the very moment that it came across my mind, it felt like the best thing for me to do. It was the desire that I most had, and so I went for it. I jumped on it, and I did it. That's what it means. The body does whatever 
I mean, that's the course of this world. The course of this world just does whatever it feels like doing at that very moment. The world is incredibly, listen closely, this world is incredibly sensitive to the stimuli of their own bodies and of their own minds. Do you get that? This world is remarkably sensitive to the stimulus of their own bodies and of their own minds. They respond to even the most subtle stimulus, and they do it instantly for self-gratification. That's what they do. That's the course of this world. You want to know what that means? That's what it means to pursue the course of this world. But the problem is that they are completely, utterly dead to spiritual things. They are so alive to the desires of their bodies. They are so alive to the desires of their minds that they are completely unable to detect the stimuli of the Spirit. Did you know that? They're unable to detect it. They aren't interested in the things of the Spirit. They aren't interested in the things of God. And as they walk through the world, think about it, they walk through the world looking at God's incredible, remarkable creation. As they look at the mountains, and they look at the forests, and they look at the seas, and they look at God's magnificent creative beauty as it's displayed in even something as simple as a butterfly. They look at God's magnificent creativity in all of the animals of the world. As they look up into the skies and they see the vast expanse of the cosmos, of the galaxy, Romans 1 tells us that God is calling them. That's what's happening, is God is trying to reveal Himself to them, and they can't deny that He exists. That's what the Bible teaches. His creation testifies that He's real. His creation testifies that He's there through creation, what he's doing is he's taking their hands and he's shaking them and he's tapping them on the shoulder and he's rubbing their ears and he's snapping his fingers and he's saying, hello, I'm here. Respond to me. He's giving them stimulus. When grave illnesses strike families, and the people that they love, God is tapping them on the shoulder saying, hey, I'm here. Respond to me. Don't wait. Respond to me. And yet, They go on about their way. They're unmoved. It's all foolishness to them, isn't it? And at this time of year, think about this. At this time of year, they all participate in the celebration of the birth of Christ, the very One who would save them from their sins if they would believe, the very One who would resurrect their dead spirits if they would believe. They celebrate that very One completely insensitive to the stimulus as God taps them, as He shakes them, He says, wake up. As He tries to stimulate them, they pass right through the world, just following the course of the world, giving themselves every form of gratification they can come up with, and they are completely, utterly unable to respond to the spiritual stimulus. That's what they're doing. Why? Because they're dead. They can't get it. They don't feel it because they're completely dead. They're incapable of responding. And as such... Verse 3 tells us that they are, by nature, children of wrath. They're storing up for themselves eternal judgment on themselves. That's what they're doing. Every time they pass on the stimulus, every time they fail to respond, all they're doing is they're storing up eternal judgment. But we don't sit here in our church with a big smirk on our face saying, well, that's what they get. They've got it coming. It's true. But we don't sit here doing that, do we? Why? Because Paul tells us in verse 1 that every single one of you used to be as dead as they were. 
Every single one of you were just as dead as the most spiritually dead person that's out in the world right now, just following the course of the world. That's exactly what you did. You were insensitive. You were unable to respond. You were dead. You walked around going from one desire of your bodies to the next desire of your bodies to the next desire of your bodies. You too were children of wrath. But God. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us. I'm going to stop right there. Listen. You were dead in your sins. You were unable to respond. But God was rich in mercy. But God was deep in His love. God was great in His love for you. So while you stood there going from one desire to the next desire to the next desire, God continued to tap you on the shoulder because of His great love for you. But God in His rich mercy, but God in His great love for you, but God was unwilling that any of you should perish, but God wanted all of you to come to repentance. And that's why you're here today, isn't it? God developed a plan to bring the dead to life. He developed a plan to bring resurrection power to all of those people who walk blindly through the world pursuing passion after passion after passion. He developed a plan to bring life to them that they might be quickened, that they might get on their feet, that they might be sensitive to the stimulus of the Holy Spirit. I told everybody on Friday night, if you were here for that, that over the next two weeks, you're going to hear a lot of people tell you what they think Christmas is all about. Some of them are going to say that it's all about giving. You're going to hear that. You're going to hear others say that Christmas is all about family or Christmas is all about whatever, whatever they say. But I want you to know, and this is what I said on Friday night, that Christmas is all about God fulfilling His promise to save people from their sins and to bring life to the dead people. That's what it's all about. And because Jesus was willing to come and to leave heaven... You can have life through Him. Before Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, He told Martha in John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me, he will never die. Yet he who dies shall live if he believes in Me. In John chapter 5, Jesus told the Pharisees that for whatever reason, they refused to come to Him that they could have life. And so this morning, I just want to wrap it up by asking you, will you come to Him that you may have life? Has He tapped you on the shoulder this morning? Has He whispered your name? Has He said, wake up, wake up? Has He touched you? Has He rubbed your ears? Has He said, be sensitive. Wake up. Respond to Me. Because I want you to know that if you will respond to that stimulus, if you will respond to the message of the birth of Jesus Christ, He will quicken your spirits and He will give you life like you've never had it before. Father, I thank You for Your rich mercy. I thank You, Father, for Your great love. I thank You, Father, for Your willingness to give life to all those who come to You. And so I pray, Father, if there are anybody here today, if there's anyone here today who are spiritually dead, 
If there's anyone here today who is walking through the course of this world, who's walking through the course of this world system, living only to carry out the desires of their bodies, living only to carry out the desires of their minds, I pray that you would give them life. pray, God, that you would awaken their spirits, that they would respond to the stimulus of the Holy Spirit. I pray that they would be awakened to the things of God, that in your great grace, Lord, that you will empower them to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, to the saving of their eternal souls, that they may have life with you, I pray. Lord, for those who are here, who are already believers, people who already believe in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would make us even more sensitive to the stimulus of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would guide us even more closely by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would deaden us to the desires of our minds, that you would deaden us to the desires of our bodies, and that you would make us more sensitive, and that you would make us more alive to the things of the Holy Spirit and the leadings of, of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to purify ourselves, present ourselves to you as a holy and blameless bride, we pray. Lord, I know that the next few weeks can be really difficult for many people. And I pray, God, for your peace as we enter into the Christmas season. That those people who have lost loved ones that they miss at this time of year, find comfort. I pray, Lord, that those who face stress and anxiety of the busyness of the season can find rest and they can find peace in you, that you would stimulate their spirits, that you would awaken their spirits. 